This is Event Masters. Behind the scenes stories, experiences, and lessons shared by the world's leading event experts. Hosted by Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Event Masters. And today I'm honored to be joined by a true event master. I would easily put her in my top 10 in the world when it comes to event professionals, uh, the incomparable Trisha Fenton. Trisha, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me, Christian. And, and thank you for doing these these podcasts. You know, I've actually watched almost all the ones you've you've done for this session. And, you know, I love hearing the stories. I, I haven't gone to Christie's yet, but I think what you're doing and capturing, it's just a walk down memory lane for all of us event professionals. And more importantly, I think it tells a story. And if I was young and getting into the event world now, I'd seek these out and, and listen to them because you can really hear some good sage um, words of advice and, and people who have been in this industry and, and all of the people that you have interviewed so far, I have a deep, deep appreciation for as well as yourself. And I can't wait to hear the others that, that come onto your show. So. Thank you. Well, thank you, Tricia. Uh, I'm so grateful to you for uh, being a, a strong supporter of this. I really do appreciate it. And before we get started into the history of, uh, of you and your background, first of all, can you tell me where you're joining us from? Because I never know where you are in the world from <laughs> one day to the next. You, you have so much work and you're helping so many people in so many different countries. So where are you joining us from today? I'm actually joining from um, my house in upstate New York. Um, and you caught me. We're just about to go on a, a trip to Egypt. Um, and we're going with, um, and this is part of what I'll talk about, is the, the friends and, that you make in the event industry, they become your family. And it's a bond that, uh, you know, doesn't break easily in over years and years. So I'm actually going with uh, my husband, Craig, and um, uh, four other people that are from the event industry, Clay Brock, which many of you guys may have known, and his wife, and, and Christine Paul, and then Irene um, uh, as well. So yeah, so it's, it's going to be great. So Eileen Farley, sorry, but yeah, so... Wow. Well, that sounds super exciting. And I wish you safe travels uh, and, a, and a, an amazing time there in Egypt. Uh, it's certainly a place that's on my bucket list. So well done. Okay. So just to give people a brief background, I, I cannot summarize 30 years of career in, in uh, 30 seconds, but I'm going to do my best. And I was telling you, Tricia, beforehand, you know, I, I went to your LinkedIn profile and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so understated. Uh, there's no if you if usually it's the other way around. Well, not usually, but sometimes it's the other. We have challenges sometimes in our industry where people inflate their CVs. So it's, it looks like they were more important than they really are. And yours is kind of the opposite, which is it was it's very understated. Oh, I'm a highly skilled and experienced uh, event professional. Well, Come on. I mean, you're like, when I say top 10, I'm, I'm being serious here. We're talking, let's see, five Olympic and Paralympic games, numerous bids, Pan American games, FIFA World Cups, 
uh, 17 Super Bowls and other NFL events, uh, all kinds of regional games, and not just sport events, but presidents. You were the head of broadcast for the Dubai 2020 Expo, for heaven's sake, and you've worked all over the world. So my goodness, I'm super excited to have you on and share some of your stories. And one of the things that I want to lead off with, and I typically do with, with folks, is, well, how did you get in this crazy business to begin with? So it's actually a funny story, and we've talked about this previously, is that um, I went to Clarkson University, which is a technical school, and it definitely was not focused on event planning. And and for many of us who got into the business 30-some-odd years ago, there wasn't a course in event planning. There wasn't a degree in event planning. And it kind of was you found it in different ways. So um, I graduated from university and we were kind of in a bit of a, a recession in the U.S. at that time. And so jobs were a little tough. And so I started doing some freelance work um, and I did um, my degree was in technical communication. So it's like uh, you have your technical and your your writing background. And so I was doing some networking and trying to do some freelance work just to, to keep myself busy and looking for a full-time job. And at the time, my dad's like, oh, there you should start, try to volunteer at different things. There's this event, the World University Games. A lot of companies are involved with that. At the time, my dad worked for IBM and his company was one of the sponsors for um, the World University Games, although he wasn't involved with it. He's like the zoo, the library, you know, something where you can meet people in business. I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. So filled out my application, sent it in to be a volunteer. And like many events, crickets, nothing, didn't hear anything. So I'm like, all right, well, I kept looking. And at the same time, I um, was coaching skiing. I used to race um, in uh, high school and, and college um, for downhill skiing. And I, after I graduated, um, one of my good friends, um, Tim, he and I started coaching at the ski resort um, down outside of um, Buffalo called Hollymont. So I was out skiing and one of my fellow coaches friends actually worked for the world university games. And so we were chatting, um, Nick Judson, many of you guys may know Nick from the event world. And we were chatting on the ski slope, um, or as on the chairlift, as many people do. And he's like, I was like, I tried to volunteer for them. He's like, I work for them. And, um, so he's like, give me your resume and I'll give it to my boss. So, I sent my resume in um, to Nick and Nick gave it to Mary Kennedy and Michael Pitts, who was were um, involved with the World University Games. And I got an interview and Mary Kennedy interviewed me. I got the offer and um, I go to my father. I'm like, Dad, I go, I got the job offer. I said, um, but it's 18 months. It's just for the summer. You know, I'm, you know, what do you think? And he's like, Sounds like a fun summer job, but you're not going to do that for the rest of your life, right? So I'm like, all right, well, you know what? It'll be a fun summer job. So I did it. And it was just such an amazing experience. And like many people, you either love it or hate it. You do your first event and you're like, I'm never doing that again. Or you do your first event and you're like, oh my God, I, I want to do this forever. 
So I um, was in the category of, I love this. This is great, you know? And some of my stories later, we'll get into some of the experiences and the learnings I had on that first job. So I said, all right, well, what's next? Well, World Cup 94 was coming to the States and there was a, um, there was a, the New York venue was close by in, in um, New York City. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll see if I can get in with them. So I, again, you, you write your letters and send it and crickets, you know, you don't hear anything. Then out of the blue, maybe a month or two later, um, I got a call from Nick, who I worked with closely at World University Games. He's like, hey, I'm working at the World University, or sorry, the FIFA World Cup down in Orlando. We need people for our logistics department. He's like, I can't pay you right away, but if you come down and volunteer, we may have positions coming up in a month or two. So I'm like, mm, okay. So I, pa- I had a little Jeep Wrangler. I put all my stuff in my little Jeep Wrangler and drove down to Orlando, not knowing where I was going to stay, not knowing like if I was going to get a paid job soon, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And so, so I did. And I, I stayed on different people's couches for a while until I, uh, about a month or two, um, it did turn into a paid position. There was two of us that, um, were volunteered until we got paid. So, and then it just spiraled from there. After the World Cup in Orlando, I, I went to Atlanta, did the Atlanta Olympics and had a great time at some fantastic people. And then um, I used to balance it. So I'd go back and coach in the winters and um, do events. Um, but then it just got to, you have to to make a, a choice. So by... By 94 with the, with the World Cup, that was when it was like, okay, you, you're probably just going to go this direction. And I gave up my technical writing and, and technical communications career and went to do the, uh, the event business. But I will say for all those listening that uh, the event business is in some ways you use a lot of math and science and, and a lot of people will attest to that. And a lot of word problems, like, you know, you have X number of people in a stadium, you have to move them out in 90 minutes. How many, how many buses do you need? Or how many toilets do you need if they drink X number of beers a day, you know, stuff like that. So it's all comes back to, to math and science and technical questions and answers. So that's my long winded story of how I got into the event business. I love this story, and I want to unpack this a little bit because here we are in 2023, we're talking about this, and when it comes to applying for jobs and things like that, oh, well, we go to Indeed, or you go to LinkedIn, or you go to, you know, whatever platform it is that you go to and you, you know, fill up. When you say, well, I write my letters, I mean, that's actually writing letters and putting them in envelopes and mailing them, like that was physical mail, school. right? That was old school. And I have one of my very funny stories that I have to tell is from that first World University Games that I worked. And um, many people remember this. And in today's day and age where everybody has cell phones, everybody has laptops, everybody has um, like communications 
everywhere. You have you have email at the World University Games. We had 12 computers for the whole organization. And we had like one landline phone that four or five of us would share. I don't even think we had email. We might have had email, but it was like old school operations. And it was funny because we had 12 computers and they were banked. So there was six on the top level and six on the bottom level. And you sat like um, kind of in a like a stadium type seating. So six and six, right? And we used to sit there and the biggest thing we used the computers for is that um, there was a card game, uh, spades or hearts, and we used to get on the computer and play it because nobody really had email that you talked to outside of this little group. It was like, um, so it was, it was very old school and we did everything face-to-face communication. We drove over and met with people and you called up and made an appointment instead of texting them. And it was, it was a lot of fun, but, um, and it was a great experience just coming out of college, you know? (laughs) Well, so a couple of thoughts on, on that. Number one, uh, well, I I guess I'll rephrase it as a question. Do you think that in some, I'm not a, I'm a technology lover. I'm not a basher of technology at all. I've grown up with computers ever since I was a kid. Uh, My dad being a a field engineer, um, you know, working in, in computers. And, and I think they've, they've improved our lives tremendously and there are all kinds of efficiency gains and ability to make decisions because we're getting a lot more information much faster. But at the same time, do you think that we are missing out a little bit? on some of the face-to-face relationship building stuff? I believe that technology is a tremendous tool. And I'm with you. There's things that, um, you know, we do today that we could never have done in back in, you know, even 93 when I started in the event um, business. But I also think that, and, and part of what I try to instill on my team and others is that sometimes it's easy to type on a computer and say, okay, it's not my problem. I sent an email, but just because you sent an email, one doesn't mean that they're taking the action that not, needs to be done. And and second of all, that email, that person may receive 400 emails a day and, and your email may be very important that you have to um, uh, get an answer to within 24 hours. And it may take a week before um, somebody gets to it. So I think that you have to be conscious of how you use technology and make sure you're using it in a, in a positive way. And I think the interpersonal relationships are are critical and those face-to-face relationships are are critical. Um, And I knew like people that I would be sitting next to and they would send me an email and I would turn around and say, are you serious? I said, I'm right here. Like turn around and talk to me. Let's have a conversation and let's resolve it instead of going back and forth, back and forth um, uh, with emails. And so I I do think it's a, it's, you have to get those interpersonal skills and 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 to 
one of your your questions that you ask about what we do outside of work and and I think the outside of work and the and the building of the relationships are just as critical as sitting in meetings and and thrashing out um resolutions to problems because in those outside of the office activities you're building those relationships you're becoming you you start trusting one another you you deal with people in 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 non-business ways that you then really truly get to meet and understand people and their personalities and you and you reach common grounds um because in the in the office oftentimes you come into a meeting and you're representing one viewpoint they're representing another viewpoint and you're trying to get to a to a common ground or you're trying to fix a problem or or fix come up with a solution whereas you know in your after hours you're now okay we're gonna and sport is a big after hours activity for for at least my experience with the event world there's there was always some sort of softball team or baseball team or volleyball or 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 whatnot so and then you're working as a team instead of coming together as two different teams trying to resolve a problem you're one team and now you're working together and i remember like we had our first softball team was at the world university games and it seemed like every event that i ever worked at, at since then always had softball right it was it was one of those unifying um sports that you could play um, and I, I just remember it fondly because there was always some funny thing, like all of us driving to the to the softball game. And then you had the sport team against the rest of the organization because it seemed like the sport team could always field like at least one team or two teams where the rest of the organization was scrapping people together and saying, OK, you know, let's get a, a team. And uh, I'll tell you one funny story about softball is like when we were in Winnipeg, we had the softball team and there was this gentleman I worked with, Garnet Nelson. He, he also played hockey and he played, I think it was shortstop or second base. And I remember somebody hit a line drive right past him and he did a hockey catch. He did the split and everything just like, and I'm like, and everyone was like, holy cow, that was impressive. And he's like, yeah, I probably could never do that again. But it was is just, you know, you you just have these wonderful experiences outside of outside of work and and sport seem to be um uh driving factor. Uh so, and not just well, I want to get into those experiences here in just a minute, but one thing I I want to come back to is you driving down in your Jeep Wrangler to Orlando. Now, okay, I, I kind of feel your dad. I, I'm actually a former IBMer myself. Uh, I left IBM to go to Salt Lake 2002. Uh, <clears throat> at the time, it was difficult, and the initial arrangement was for me to be a loaned employee and uh, of IBM. But then IBM ceased to be a sponsor, and I had to make a decision. Do I want to just go back to whatever I was doing with IBM, or do I want to stay there in Salt Lake? And I'm like, uh, this this Olympic thing's really cool. See ya. But also, as a parent of a daughter who is in her last semester of college, uh, you know, your you mentioned your father said, "Hey, um, yeah, that's a fun little thing, but you'll never do that for a career." 
now you're hopping in a Jeep and you're driving down to Orlando. You don't even know where you're going to stay for an unpaid internship. What's dad thinking? I mean, if I were dad, I'd be like, so, you know, uh, Trish, I think we talked about this. Uh, you know, you know what what was going through his mind? I, and again, to your point, I mean, this this was in the early 1990s. It's not like you could just look up Airbnb online or go to Hilton.com and find some place to stay. I mean, you were literally going down there, had no idea what you're going to do. I mean, as, as a parent, I'd be like, all right, well, I trust my daughter, but at the same time, I got questions. Well, I think. I think, you know, you as a father, I can't say what was going through my dad's head. I could just tell you that, you know, my family, you know, have always been supportive of not just my career, but our whole of each other. And, you know, and I think that that was one of the things that has been so, um, wonderful about uh, my career is the support that I've gotten from my family. You know, it was a tough decision. You know, you're going away from uh, certainty to uncertainty. And um, my family, when when we were growing up, my dad worked for IBM and, and we moved to that. He had a contract in Hong Kong and or Tokyo first and then Hong Kong. So we we have that, um, I guess that family life of, okay. And we used to call I, IBM, I've been moved. So the whole moving around, it was like, okay, we're kind of used to that going into the unknown. We're kind of used to, and which I think was a beautiful thing growing up. I mean, it, it's hard, it's hard in many ways, but it also brought my sister and my brother and I closer together because um, my brother's 18 months older, my sister, I'm a twin for many people who don't know that it's somewhat shocking when people will see both of us at the same time for the first time, but, um, we're so close in age that we had a immediate friend group. You know, we were just, we also were enemies at times, but mostly friends at times. And so, um, you know, my mom and dad and, and my brother and sister were supportive of it, you know, because, and I think that's what you have to do in life, especially when you're young, you have to take those opportunities. And, and more times when you talk to people that are older, much older than us, Christian, and then they look back on their life, their biggest regrets are, are what opportunities they didn't take. And, you know, you can always go back. I mean, you can always regroup and you can't always go back, but you can regroup and you can say, okay, I tried this and you know what? It didn't work out, but it was a learning lesson and it showed me, okay, maybe this isn't what I want to do. It's so I, I look at every challenge, every step or misstep as learning more, figuring out what you want to do. And then saying, okay, this is the direction I want to go. And maybe I would have moved down there and I would have come home a month later and said, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I want to go back to that certainty of working for a corporation. And, but I didn't really like what I was doing. Like, well, the, the, the technical communications, you know, you work, for different groups that I did a internship when I was living in Hong Kong with IBM Hong Kong. 
And uh, so I did the technical aspect of that and the technical writing. And, and I had a great time because it was, you're in Hong Kong, you're having a great time. It's a brand new experience. You're working in, in a new company, you're meeting new people. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't think I'm meant for this. I'm meant to, you know, I'm, I'm meant for something different. And I think that's what young people should do. I have a, a nephew now and he, he has a, a job, a, a good job at, with working with uh, New York state, but he, he doesn't want to, he, that he doesn't feel like that's for him. Right. So he's now doing similar to what I did, although he's, he's found a, a job in what he wants to do. And he's moving from New York down to North Carolina and going to explore and, and try something different. And we're all very encouraging. And we're like, okay, well, you know, follow your heart, take your mind with you and your brain with you, but follow your heart and you could always switch directions. I know I'm going on and on, but, uh, it's, I think that's what my, my family's always been is, you know, be smart about it, but, follow your heart and you know, what's right deep down, you know, what you want to do. And, and life's too short to, to not be happy. You have to follow your dreams and follow your aspirations and, and be happy at what you do. Well, I think that is, I mean, it's, it's easy to say those kind of things and it may sound like, Oh, well, you know, it's just, general advice, but you've lived this, right? You have lived this mantra. And I think for many of us in events, uh, it's the same thing. You know, we, we get, there's something about doing this kind of work that's incredibly intrinsically appealing, you know, to, to, to us. And so we, we continue to follow our passion, even though it's hard, because it's not like you've got the job stability, you, you, it's very project based. These projects have an end date and you always have to go look out and find, you know, the next one. And so one of the questions I have for you is, you know, how have you managed to handle the transition from one event to another and stay engaged in it for so long? Because it is a challenge. I mean, you know, going and finding the future opportunities and making sure that you, you know, you're available and that's something that you actually want to do. Uh, so you, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, you know, stories about or experiences that you had where, okay, you're rolling off of one event and now you got to go find another one and, and how you go about actually doing that. So uh, thank you, Kristen. I am truly blessed in, in the fact that my career has, um, has been so, consistent and and successful and it isn't without a lot of hard work and you have to really have a deep seated belief that things will work out and sometimes it may not seem like it is but at the end of the day it always works out and i, I remember um you know after salt lake and the World Cup was happening in Japan and, and Korea. And I was like, I want to do that because you know what? I 
lived in Japan when I was younger. I want to go back to Japan. I, you know, I, I think it would be great. Um, you know, I worked a World Cup and they're just, it's an unbelievable experience. And if people haven't worked or been to a World Cup, it's a totally different experience than an Olympics and or Super Bowls or any other event. And I, it's just this culture and this energy. It's, it's, I mean, all of the events have culture and energy, but it's, it's, it was very attractive and that, that's where I wanted to go. And I remember at that point we did have email. So I'd email, <laughs> I'd email and you'd reach out and you'd talk to people and, and some of my other friends were getting picked up from it. and. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't going the way that I, I wanted to. I wasn't getting any of the responses that I wanted to have from from there. And I was I started to get a bit discouraged about it. Then at the same time, I got this call out of the blue um from a gentleman that I've worked with quite a lot, Guy Lodge, and one of my mentors and one of my best friends in the industry. I, I can't say enough positive things about him. And there was the Commonwealth games in Manchester and he's like, Hey, I need somebody to help work with me and overlay and the transition of the stadiums and, um, the outdoor events, because I had background in transportation background in logistics. So the road events are a natural overlay fit because you're doing everything on the roads, you're moving the logistics. There's a, there's a, a synergy there. And I'm like, I really want to go to world cup, but this is a great opportunity. And, and I took it and I, and I never had any regrets about it. I, it opened doors that I never thought would be opened. And like, I think that's the thing that you have to keep in mind is that nothing happens instantaneously. Well, sometimes they do. I mean, sometimes you get a call out of the blue and next thing, you know, I, I, I can't remember who was saying that maybe it was you that said, um, how about next week? And then, Oh no, it was Leo that was telling uh, the story about how he got a call from um, EKS and, He's like, how about, I can't come this week. How about next week? <laughs> but, and then off he went. So sometimes it happens like that, but sometimes it's, it takes a while and, and you can't, you can get discouraged at times, but you can't let yourself get lost in that. You have to say, okay, well, you know what? Today is going to be the day and wake up the next day. Today is going to be the day and just keep working at it. And and I think many people on your, your podcasts have talked about the network and it's not a network of, of finding jobs. It's a network of friendships and relationships and, and using that network. And, and I say that in a, in a, in a positive way of use it's using the network to help others and using the network to reach out to get help because, and it was funny, I was just talking to a, a friend the other day. I got a, a call out of the blue from a, a woman that I know quite well. Um, and she's like, Trisha, there's this new company starting up events. 
um, do you mind if I give them your, your resume? And I'm like, sure. Um, always open to talk to people. Right. So she gave me the resume. I talked to them and, you know, it was a fascinating project. It was like one of the most interesting projects that I've heard in a long time. Cause it's a startup, um, startup, uh, event. Um, very interesting, but the role was not a role that was interesting to me. So I'm like, well, I said, I'm very interested in the project. I think it was a great project. If there's anything in this area, I would love to hear about it. However, I have a colleague of mine that I would love to send your contact information and the job description to them. And there's some confidentiality, so I'm not going into deep detail about it. And so she's like, oh, that would be great. So I sent the the job description to, to my colleague who said, this sounds right up my alley. And she's like, um, so she contacted them and, and there's that connection. And sometimes there's like two, three layers of, hey, this person's looking for a job, you know, this person's looking to fill a job and you connect people. And so it's, it's about that type of use of your network, but it's also the use of your network to just check in and see how people are. And, you know, uh, and you see it all the time. And now some of the social media, I'm not a huge social media um, aficionado. You know, every time I go on Facebook, it welcomes me back because I'm not on it very often. Um, but it it's like, you hear like you are just traveling for fun and you get together with friends that you haven't seen for four or five years, you know, because they're, they live all over the world in every single city and location. And even, um, I can't remember which event it was. I think it, I'm uncertain, but there was one of the events that I was going to, it was either in Azerbaijan it might've been the first Azerbaijan event. I can't, I can't remember which one it was, but it was, I got asked to do, Oh, it was Peru. It was when I went to Lima, Peru and the Pan Am games. And at the time I wasn't sure. I'm like, I don't know if I know anybody who's working on the, the Pan Am games in Peru, you know, cause I hadn't heard a lot of it. We were, we were coming in early. There was a few names I heard, but it was kind of a, we did consulting and so it was, we were rotating in and out. So I'm like, I guess I'll see if I know anybody when I get there. And there hasn't been one event that you don't know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody that's working on event. It's just, it's a very small industry, but it's a very broad industry. And I believe, um, and I think 99% of the event industry, people will agree with me that everybody looks out for each other and it's not a competition. It's a collective, like let's jump in this and get it to done and get it together. Let's help each other out. And you know what, if something's not the right fit for me, it might be the right fit for somebody else. And so it's really that, that network of people coming together and helping each other. And, and it's funny because throughout the years, People have had 
um, family members who are also interested in um, getting into the event business. I have a, a niece who is very interested in it as well. And you call up your friends and you're like, hey, can you talk to um, my niece? Can you talk to some people are like my, uh, I remember one of my friends, um, he, his daughter wanted to work for the, um, it was the, uh, in Baku and Azerbaijan, the um, first European game, she got a job and I was there and he's like, do you know anybody who would, you know, have a room to rent? I said, I have a room. She could just stay with me. So, you know, and helping those younger people get into the business. I think that our network of industry professionals are very open to helping people get into the business. Because as I said, you, you get a taste and you either like, not for me, or you want to do it for the rest of your life. And, and everybody's interest in getting good people in the business because it's, it is now a profession. It's now, um, something that we want to keep going. And, and I think that's going back to your question. How do you, you transition from one to, to the other? I think for me, I've had a very different, um, path than some other people. And my friend and I were talking about it the other day. You could join a organization that does event planning. And now there's a lot of companies, not a lot. I say a lot because there was almost none when I started, but there's a lot of companies that, that go around and just do events and you can get on with that company and then just go from event to event. And that has a, a bit more stability than the, than going as an independent contractor and going in at different times, every time negotiating contract, every time negotiating, are you negotiating with the organizing committee? Are you negotiating with the Federation? Are you negotiating with a U.S. company, a company from Switzerland, Azerbaijan, you know, Russian, you know, it, it just all, there's so many different avenues to take. So very long-winded answer. I hope it, it was, uh, it gave some of your viewers some insight, especially for the people that are just trying to to get into this industry. No, I think it's super helpful. I mean, I've had this I've had this experience with my own family. So all of my sons, so I've, I've got three boys and a girl, and all of them have worked with me on events. You know, I've got them involved in some capacity. And my oldest son, uh, he's turned it into his full time job. So he now works for Maureen Sweeney full time. I saw you know, that on her doing podcast. events. So it, it, it does, it does get passed down from one generation to another. Uh, you know, when you were talking there, you mentioned Guy Lodge. We talked earlier before we started recording about mentors and what you learned from them. And I kind of want to transition to that because, uh, I mean, you, you, what, what you're doing right now is you're paying it forward by sharing your experience to the people who are going to, you know, take up this baton as our friends in the UK would call it, or, or the torch, uh, uh, and and run with it. But you know, why don't you tell us about some of the stories or lessons that you learned from people like Guy Lodge, you, who you mentioned, who uh, have mentored you along the way? You know, what are some of those lessons and the stories behind them? So I believe, first of all, that you learn from everybody you encounter. Everybody comes into your life to help you grow and to teach you something. And you have to just look for that lesson. 
And sometimes it's a harsh lesson, which is why you struggle with the, the person that has come into your life. And sometimes it's a beautiful lesson and, and you have a mentor that, that um, believes in you more than you do at, your, at the time. Uh, Guy Lodge was that to me. Like, um, you know, we met in Atlanta and uh, he opened the door for a lot of different opportunities. And like I said, he's a, he's a great friend as well as, um, as well as a, a mentor in the industry. And I can pick up the phone and call him and, and chat with him uh, at any time about any advice. And, and sometimes I do, but, you know, and, and, but I think, that, you know, being able to see yourself from how others see you, I think is an important lesson to learn. You know, there's something that you may not see in yourself that somebody else does and they trust you and they, they put you in situations because they don't want to see you fail because they're, because if you fail, then in some ways they have failed as well, but they also don't want to put you into a position that you never grow. So, and I think, I can't remember, I was reading a book or something and somebody says, if you're going to play tennis, are you always going to play tennis with somebody who you know you can beat? Because how much do you learn and grow there? You need to play tennis with somebody who is going to expand your skills as opposed to always knowing you are going to want the, you know, win and uh, crush them. And, and that's not good for either person. So I think that was a very important lesson that, you know, guy helped me see, see and learn is, you know, make sure you take the time to see yourself the way others see you. Um, my very first boss, Michael Pitts, who's somewhat of a controversial character in, in the event industry, people either love him or hate him or, love and hate them all at the same time. But he was, he, he was just a fantastic character and he has since passed away and it's, 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 uh, very sad, but he, he always saw things from different perspectives and that drove a lot of people crazy because you'd come to him with a situation and right out of left field, he'd come up with some sort of suggestion that you're like, what are you on crack? I mean, like that isn't even the question that we're asking, you know, but it was, you always looked at different perspectives. It's, he always challenged you to look at different perspectives. He's always said that, you know, and uh, Lisa Remba, who was his mentor, I think he took a lot of that from him. And he, he would study, Lisa Zaremba would study something over and over again and look at it for hours to see, are we doing it the best way? Uh, Michael wouldn't, definitely, would, wouldn't necessarily look at it for hours and hours and hours, but he did try to look at it from different perspectives. And you know, and, and challenge you to look at something from different perspectives. And he always, he also always credited his team and the people who worked with him. And I think that's very important because, you know, you can be the most successful person in the world because of the team that you have. And I think that teamwork is what, um, 
creates success. Anybody's success is based on the people and the team they surround themselves and, and the ability that they allow their team to actually um, produce and do their roles, you know? And, and Michael always gave credit to his team and, and never really said it was all because of me and, and made sure they got FaceTime with their, with the superiors, you know? So it wasn't like he would take your story and present it. You know, sometimes the leader has to take your story and present it because, you know, 15 people presenting a story, then why do they need the leader? You know, every, but you have that hierarchy because you know, a CEO or COO can't have 4,000 people reporting to them. Um, so I think that was a very valuable lesson. And then, um, you know, uh, the, you mentioned the, the 17 Super Bowls and I got into the, the, uh, the, um, Super Bowls and the NFL work, um, through, it was, um, it was kind of a combination of Stuart Ash and Jerry Anderson, Jerry Anderson. Um, and again, he has since passed away, but he, he was one of the founding members of the organized, making the organization of Super Bowl a professional event, him and, and, and Todd Barnes, who both, uh, I can't say enough positive things about both of them. Um, but Stuart Ash was working. I, w I was working for him and, and Larry Shank and Ron Delmont, who I would put all three of those in, in influential people in my careers. Um, and, um, and they taught me a lot of different things. Um, but Stuart would use me in the logistics department in Salt Lake for troubleshooting different things. And, um, and so we, there was a problem with the signage at Salt Lake. And so, which fell under Jerry Anderson, I was logistics under Stuart Ash, um, and Larry and Ron. Um, and so they couldn't figure out what the problem was. Was it a, a, um, delivery? Was it the, um, program. Like, so it was hard to get the right answer of what the problem was. So Stuart asked me to go down to the village and just assess the situation and find out what was going on. So I went down and I come back and I said, well, Stuart, the problem is, is that nobody really knows what's going on. I said, nobody knows what's been ordered. Nobody knows what's in delivery. Nobody knows what. And he's like, excellent. Well, you're going to now project manage the signage program. And I'm like, what? I, I don't know about anything about signage. You know, I just, <laughs> I just know there's a problem. And like a lot of my roles have come from me going to see that there's a problem. And so I went in and, and some of the signage team that I worked with, it, they, uh, they're to this day, we're super close friends, like, um, uh, Bruce Burns and, um, Brian Roloff and just an incredible group of people. And it, it's one of the teamwork. Cause again, it was the team that brought it together. We all worked together. Um, but through, um, Stuart loaning me to Jerry, I then um got involved with the the Super Bowl and from Jerry um 
Jerry and Todd, especially Jerry, they taught me to make sure you don't take yourself too seriously. Enjoy and and have humor in what you work on, um, particularly Jerry and and Todd and Jerry have a had as I said Jerry's passed away um, have such a special relationship and um, and it was a pleasure working with them and and the loyalty of the people around them the the people that every year we came together and I had some of the most. I was the the logistics lead, and um, I, then during the operations, we all became stadium operations. But I had people that were running Soldier Field and um, and all different the Atlanta um, Stadium. They all came in, and during the pre-event, like they worked for me. And so I'm I'm this kid, right? And I have these amazing professionals working for like not for me but reporting to me to help do the logistics side of things before we went into the stadium operations then when we did stadium operations i turned to um to reporting to them you know and so i i think the lessons i learned from that over the years is that you know what you have to whatever job that you do, you do the best job that you can. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you, your title is this or this, you're coming together to deliver something and you just all dig in and and deliver it. And you can't feel you're above a particular role because I was the vice president at this event, or I was this at that event. You, you come together and and you work together and to deliver and and every single person on that team is just as important as as another and you know so i i learned that from from being part of those super bowls and working with that tremendous tremendous group like tim lefever and and jerry and um todd and and i do i do want to jump back to Stuart, Larry, and 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 Ron, because I, I worked under all three of them at, at the same time. I kind of was special projects, and I say anytime you have a special in your name in a, an event, it's like you know you're going to have challenges. <laughs> but um, you know, I from Larry, I learned compassion. You know, and you you don't always know what is going through that other person, and so therefore you know, you have to be able to see things from other people's perspective. And, and Ron was a, a big believer and he was one of the most professional people I knew, but he gave me the viewpoint is, you know what, if you want people to believe in you and think highly of you, then you need to, and you need to address the position that you're in. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, I, I try to, observe without judging and i i do but i also think nowadays the casual fridays have now become rampant in the industry and i don't while i don't discount casual days and casual dress and and honestly the event world for uniforms and stuff like that but you also have to say we're a professional group and we need to act professional 
and and look professional and and then you'll be treated professionally and i think for younger people coming up into the to the industry you know especially with interviews and stuff you know take the time to the self care and and you know that resonates with me even today like i had this casual interview and i'm like okay well i know the person it's it's just casual it's just a it's just a it's a like just a checkbox. I don't need. And so I, I had a nice shirt on and stuff. And then like five minutes before I'm like, I'm like, Oh my God. And I changed into my suit. Right. And like it was a, it was a Skype and nobody can tell. Um, which is funny because during COVID, of course, everybody would wear their, their professional tops. And then every once in a while, somebody would stand up and they were in their boxer shorts or, you know, so I think that's, that's a, a important lesson I learned. And, and Stuart Ash, I mean, he, he was another one that, you know, had a lot of confidence in me and, and, um, and really gave me a lot of opportunity to just try different things, expand my, um, repertoire of, of, of different, experiences and different skills and, and, and the teamwork and the, and the leadership. So I think those are all are, I could go on and on because it could be like the Emmy awards listing all the names of all the people. And I, and I'm sure I'm not doing it justice of, because I do believe everybody who enters my life has taught me something. So long winded answer. Wow. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I know it's it's hard to it's hard to recognize everybody that you've ever come across in a 30-year career. So I totally get that. Uh I th I find the comment about dress very interesting. It reminds me when I was a, a kid in college, I had a professor. This is early 90s. He was an adjunct professor uh, and I had to take a statistics class and he was the stats professor professor. Uh but he was former chief uh what was his title? He was the he was the chief statistician statistician for Coca Cola, right? So he came from a corporate background, and he said, "Guys, if there's one lesson I want you to learn from my class, it's not statistics. It's this: dress like you make twenty five thousand dollars a year more than you do, and you will." That was his one thing. And I still remember this, right? I still remember that lesson. So I think it's a, I, I think it's great advice that you, that you're giving there to folks uh, to do that, especially in today's, uh, in today's environment where, uh, you know, we can be very, very casual. Although I will say that's one of the things that's appealing about events is sometimes it's not a, it's not banking, right? It's not, it's not necessarily a suit and tie uh, kind of job, but at the same time, um, dress like you care. I think that's, I think that's great yeah. advice. All right. And I think it's also, sorry, Here to I go interrupt, but it's, it's also, no, go ahead. Go it's ahead. also for dress for the situation you're in. So for example, when I, when I was, um, in Vancouver working for governments and I was leading the government service integration, I met with federal government, municipal government, and provincial uh, government officials all the time. And and you can't wear hoodies and yoga pants, right? I mean, you could, but you also are sitting there negotiating contracts across the table with government officials. So 
you do have to take a different uh, approach. Now, when I was at the Super Bowl and I was working and we were doing logistics on on site, definitely I wasn't wearing a suit and tie to move barricades and tables and chairs. I was in a, in a casual outfits, but it's, it's like you say, dress like you care and, and take care of yourself like you care. And, and more importantly, do care about yourself, care about how you look, how you feel, the sleep you get, the, the few, food you eat and, and take care of yourself in the, in, in this business and, and just in general. Well, to your point there, uh, that's so important because this business is hard. I mean, these events are not easy events. If they were easy, then everybody would do them, but they're not. <laughs> and it can be a very, very challenging environment. You're, they can be very high profile. Uh, you have very difficult deadlines to meet. And also you're bringing together people from all different walks of life who might be working together uh, uh, for the first time and trying to get to know each other. So it can be very, very challenging. And I'm curious... You know, what are some of the challenges that you faced in organizing uh, some of these amazing events? And what did you learn from uh, working on those challenges and resolving them? So I think the biggest challenge that I have faced is being away from my family. I mean, like, and over the course of the events, you know, I, and this goes back to your comment about technology. It like when we were living overseas when I was a kid, you write, uh, you wrote letters on the little blue papers. They call them blueies at the time, and they were wafer thin. And you mail them, and then two months later, you get a response. Well, technology created a, a an amazing opportunity to keep in touch, see your family more often um, with the likes of Skype or Teams or you know Zoom. So, so, but it's still hard. And, you know, I have, uh, being in the event world, I met my husband in the middle of my career, I think, maybe the mid, the, the mid of my career. So, um, you know, going from a, and he's a pilot, so, which it's, it's um, made the balance a little bit easier for me than some people. Um, because we were, we we're able to meet in different places. He doesn't have a nine to five job Monday through Friday. So, but taking that time to, to make sure you connect with it. So I, I think that was one of the biggest challenges being away from my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters and, and now my husband. And as, as we go through, and I think the hardest thing was COVID. That was the hardest event because, um, and I was fortunate. I still, um, had like, I was working for Expo when COVID first hit and then, um, Expo let go a tremendous number of people. Um, and I, I was fortunate enough. I had a a couple other jobs during COVID and then got picked up by the World Cup Qatar, a uh, men's World Cup in Qatar um, in October, 2020. So I really kept work throughout the COVID and I'm, I'm very blessed in that way. I know a lot of people had a tough time during COVID because so many events were canceled. Um, but coming out of that, um, I then 
worked remotely from October to January. Then I went January to Qatar. And because of the COVID restrictions, I didn't see my family and my husband for uh, about five months. And that was very unusual for us because we would see each other at least once every 30, 40 days, which some people think is crazy. But in the event world, other people think (laughs) that's normal, right? Um, And I know that that was hard for me. I know some people who were in Qatar went a year without seeing their family, um, which was really hard. So I think COVID and and being away from family taught like it to me that's the most important thing and and we talked about the summer of Trish I think on our last podcast so I took the summer after um after uh um World Cup finished I finished in March and I, I took the time to spend with my family this summer we traveled I did a, a few small like shorter term project but. I, I spent it with my family. We had, I spent, my mom and dad are getting older. So that to me is so important is make sure you know who grounds you and keep in touch with them. Um, as far as other event challenges, huh, well, I think everybody can go back to their first event and you get thrown into this world that you don't know. And for me, I was 20 some odd years old. I'm not going to say because everybody can put it together, although I'm not ashamed of my age. Um, But I just out of university, I was now in charge of, it was, I was supposed to be in charge of the transportation for the Royal Henley with the World University Games. That was my venue. And there was one venue manager. Well, some complications happened and he couldn't um, actually get into Canada for a while. So I was pretty much the only staff that was at the venue and I was in charge of kind of pulling it together. The World University Games had some challenges financially with sponsorships and with, um, they went bankrupt. Uh, they were trying to, so there was, they had shortage of uniforms. So we had a whole host of challenges as an organization. They, they actually mis they miscalculated how many athletes were in the village. So they had to create a new village like instantaneously overnight. They just moved people there. Nobody knew who was staying where. So the whole event was probably one of the most challenging events. And for me, I was like on my own and they're like, Trisha, you're on your own. We can't do anything for volunteer meals. We're going to try to get you some volunteer uniforms, but just make it work. And I'm like, make it work. I don't even, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I did. And what I learned from that is you have to be resourceful. So, and, and again, it goes back to team. So I had a group of volunteers, the, the sport, side took care of itself because the Royal Henley is a professional, uh, venue. They run rowing championships there all the time. The field of play, the sport was never in question, but like all of the other things, the the transportation, the meals for all the other volunteers, everything else was like the overlay for that. So I'm like, well, I can't not have people eat. So I had two marketing, um, 
kids that were, I say kids, they were probably a year younger than me at the time, but they're still in university. I'm not. So I'm the adult. They're the kid. So they, I said, you guys are marketing people go out to restaurants and get food for our volunteers. And we'll hang a poster up outside of our drop-off for the spectator shuttles. Right. Which probably broke every mark, uh, every sponsorship rule that we had. But um, at this point, I'm like, I need to figure out how to feed all these volunteers. So they went out and we were getting like, we were getting restaurants like PF Chang and Subway and like, like restaurants cooking meals for our volunteers and the sport volunteers who got bagged lunches on the, they were like, how come we can't eat with you? <laughs> and we're like, sure you can. We got so much food. They got Lay's potato, Lay's like gave us cases and cases of potato chips and chips. And, and we were giving food to food banks. We were getting so much food. It was, and so it taught me that you need to trust your team and you need to find those skills that your team members have and, and capitalize on them. And the other thing I learned there was that every time I left the venue, there would be a crisis, like something would happen. So I was getting calls all the time and I'm like, and it was like the third or fourth day and I, I wasn't getting any sleep. And I was like on site constantly. I'm like, this can't be the way that you do, you run things. I said, because people will collapse. And so it was empowering. And, and so I had to start delegating and empowering people to do their role and trusting them. And so it was one of the best lessons I learned at a very early, early age is that you need to empower people to do the job. They might not do it the same way that you do it. They might not do it the same way you think is the best way to do it. But if they get to the end, uh, the end result, then you need to let them have ownership and, and deliver what you've asked them to deliver. You as a leader need to guide them along the way and make sure that if you're trying to get to A, they don't go to Z and you're like, uh, yeah, we're supposed to be at A, right? But, but that, I think those were some very, very um, important lessons to learn early in my career. And I think most of the challenges that I've faced along the way resonate back to, to that, empowering people, finding the resources in with your team to, to deliver and to trust in them. Um, you know, there's a, the, the signage program in, in Salt Lake was the same thing. Um, we had, and, and the, the person that was in charge of it, um, had to step away for personal reasons. And again, it, it goes back to take, making sure you take care of yourself. And it was only because of the team that was pulled together and, you know, Jerry and Stuart met and they said, okay, we need to pull a team together to, to pull this out. Stuart's like, I'm going to put Trisha in there to project lead the, the logistics side. There was another gentleman, Mari, that project managed the production side of things. And we had this amazing team of people that all came together and, and we were able to 
um, logistics team with the supply chain process. And sometimes we intercepted deliveries that were ground because we knew they weren't going to get there in time. And we airshipped a midshipment, right? And the signage team that would be on site to, to install it and the, the logistics and the venue team that helped them, you know, it, it was, it's all about making sure you work together. Um, uh, so it's, it's, I think those are some, some very important lessons and, and making sure you take care of your team too. It's not just taking care of yourself, but taking care of your team and making sure if you see somebody struggling, reach out to them. Even if they're not reporting to you, they're your, your teammate or something, you know, and, and, and cause we're all in it together. And, and I think that's, that's the most important thing. Um, we also had, it seems like sometimes the scheduling system for buses fails <laughs> always like the day before, but for the Canada games, we were using, uh, a system and, and it, it ended up failing. And again, we had to do all hand scheduling. That was back in the day that, uh, we all did a lot of hand scheduling. So, um, and the project was a, a, a space that you could do it. So again, the whole team showed up. Uh, the, the bus system manager had had a stroke. So um, he was out of the picture. Luckily, I had a, had a good friend. We had a, a team that we brought in just for the event time or just prior to the event. Um, Christine Paul, who works very um, very closely with uh, buses and bus scheduling and um, used to be game day. Now it's... Uh, I'll remember the name of nobody, but uh, uh, standard parking, um, uh, SP plus. Uh, so, but she was there um, as a consulting, as, as an independent contractor at the time. She came in and we got everybody who knew anything about buses and scheduling. We were all working to to pull it together and, and to schedule it. And, you know, and I think that's, that's another challenge. And, and again, when you were looking at what to talk about the challenges and teamwork, it, it goes hand in hand because um, I don't think you overcome many challenges without teamwork and, and whether it's missing your family. And so as a team, your family figures out, you know, my, my sister and brother and my mom and dad have come to, to visit me all over the world and, you know, finding a way that works. So teamwork there to make sure that, you know, we stay close and, and teamwork when you're faced with the challenge. And, and I think one of the most important things to do is make sure that you can, um, remain curious, ask questions without creating controversy and also make sure that you are open to people coming to you with suggestions or problems, because if people are afraid to come to you with problems or challenges that they're having in a small way, the next thing you know, you're going to have a big blow up and you're not, it's going to take a lot more to overcome it. So I think that's another very important lesson is to, to make sure you're approachable about challenges and you're not critical if somebody's coming with, with a problem or challenges or, or something they can't necessarily solve on their own. So 
think those are some of well, the Well, I, I think this is fantastic and fantastic advice, uh, fantastic stories. You know, when it comes to that, a very pragmatic thing that I learned in my career is don't lead off with why questions. Uh, you know, when, when you do that, sometimes people feel like they're being put on trial and they become naturally very defensive when they feel like they have to explain themselves, you know. So if you can ask other questions about, about how and what, so you have a clear understanding and you're showing that, okay, now I understand the position that you're in, then you're in a position where you can maybe ask some why questions, but but uh, I, you know, that's just a technique that I've used over the years. Um, uh, and I, I think all of this is fantastic. I'm just looking at my timer and I'm like, holy cow, we've been talking for an hour and 11 minutes, which <laughs> it's absolutely flown by for me. And uh, I don't know if it's done the same for you. You might be thinking, oh my gosh, this is torturous. Like no, talking it to has. Tennis. But for me, it's been fantastic. Uh, but I, but I want to make sure that I give you opportunity to get the stories in that you want to share because... I mean, it's impossible. We know this to distill this 30 year career uh, down to an hour. But uh, uh, are, are there any uh, before we before we wrap it up? Are there any other stories on your list that you want to share? Um, I so part of the problem with event people is that you turn on our storytelling button and we could sit there for hours and hours and hours and talk about stories and every story that we tell reminds us of another one or a story somebody else tells reminds us of another one. And um, so that that's part of the challenge. I think there's two stories, two funny stories I, I want to, to tell. One was back at World Cup 94 when we were like, again, it, it, sport activities outside the office. Well, our compound was actually um, right, like the technology compound and the technology trailers were were right behind the outfield for the Orlando Cubs, right? And they were playing, and it was back when um, uh, when Michael Jordan was playing baseball. So they, they were playing and Michael Jordan was playing. He was playing outfield if anybody follows his career. And so we, we on regular occasions would go up and sit on the rooftop of the technology trailers and watch the, the baseball games. Right. Um, and so we were out there and they were, Michael Jordan was playing. So we were up there and we were as, we always did. We'd yell and cheer and heckle. And, and, um, they, the guys were also yelling. It was like myself, Jeff Kyle, um, Tony Vetrano, Derek Salisbury. And I, I can't remember who else was up there, but, um, and so then the Knicks were playing that day too. So they were, we, we were yelling the scores out to Michael Jordan and he turns around. He's like, who are you guys right and so and so it was just and to this day we all chuckle about it and it, inevitably whenever we get together that story comes out but um and that we used to we used to sit on the trailer and watch the the baseball games um the other the other um story i want to tell is when we were in Azerbaijan and i was as head of broadcasting utilities and um for 
uh, our host broadcaster was ISB. And for everybody who who knows, ISB was founded by um, Manolo Romero and another great legend in the the industry who I feel honored to have been able to work with him and his daughter, Ursula, and and he has since passed away. We've lost so many, so many beautiful people. It's, it's, um, it's good that these kind of programs keep their history and their stories alive. So, um, but uh, I was, had a broadcast and our host broadcast, um, the host broadcaster, we were doing a tour with the host broadcaster and we went to their offices and um, Doug, uh, sorry, uh, Doug or not was there. Um, and um, Mike Loin and a few other people that were part of the organization. And so in Azerbaijan, when you have lunch, and we were on a very tight schedule because everybody was in for a short period of time. As you know, you come in and you do these tours and you got to do six months of site visits in like a day and a half. So we went and they had hosted a lunch for us. Well, in Azerbaijan, their lunches, they do, they do, it's hospitality to do these like shots of I think it was vodka. So, um, so they start doing the the shots of vodka, and there's a very there's a very specific protocol of the host does the shot, the first toast, and the toasts are like dissertations for like forever, right? And so everybody's, and then everybody has to do like this toast in a specific order of this, and so um, Manolo always makes other people drink his shots. So I think Mark Parkman was there and I think Mark was the designated drinker for Manolo that day. And, and, um, then, uh, Doug or not was like pouring his shots in the empty water. <laughs> Cause we had another whole half a day of work to do. Right. We were. And so I go to, um, Ismail, who is one of our local, um, uh, Azerbaijani, uh, colleagues, um, who has since gone on and is now working as um, broadcast with the Paralympics um, and the IPC. Um, I said, Ismail, how do we stop this? We have to get it. We have to get this under control. We have to get out of here in the next five, like five, 10 minutes. He's like, Trisha, he's like, you're the only one who can stop this now. He's like, because the next shot is the lady shot. And he's like, you're the only woman here. You must, you, you must end this and your toast must conclude this lunch. Right. And I'm like, okay. So I do this, do this. So my next shot was doing this, um, speech, thanking everybody for their hospitality, but we had to leave. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, and it it was so funny because the cultural differences between the the um the different places I've worked you, you embrace them at the same time there's there's always some that catch you off guard and create these funny funny experiences that the next thing you know that uh after that um Doug called me no fun fenton cuz that's my life. <laughs> <laughs> because I stopped the shots and I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I can live with that because actually nobody wanted to, to drink the shots, but it was, uh, it was a, a funny story. So, so 
Yeah. And I know, thank you so much for all the, the, the time you've given me. Like I said, we could go on and on for another four hours. If you had all of your um, podcast people on one show, it'd probably be a 48 hour telethon or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe we should do that sometime. Maybe to try to raise money for a righteous cause. I don't know. Uh, But uh, before yeah, actually, yeah, maybe not. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll be thinking about some things here. You give me some <laughs> ideas. All right. So, uh, before before we before we wrap it up, uh, you know, one thing we want to do is give everybody an opportunity to share advice uh, for those. And you've already shared plenty of advice throughout our conversation today. But is, is there any other additional advice you would want to share to people who? are new to this industry or thinking about getting involved in events? I, I think, and I, I jotted a few things down because I think part of the beauty of what you're doing is to share advice. And, you know, I, I think the advice I have to give is, you know, first believe in yourself, know what's right for yourself. This industry isn't right for everybody. And there's a lot of people who look at it from the outside and it's like, Ooh, shiny and exciting. And the names are super exciting, right? You have like every once in a while, I would throw my resume out to what I call a real job and I'd get an interview and they're like, and they, they wouldn't understand the transferable skills, but they'd be like, I wanted to interview you because of your resume. Like, these are all the events I've always wanted to go to, right? And and for people looking in and for the stories we all tell, because nobody tells the, sometimes we tell the, the, the difficult stories, but nobody wants to hear that. They want to hear the fun stories. They want to hear the exciting stories. So it may seem like a very glamorous career path. And it's a great career path. I have loved it. I don't, I can't see myself doing anything other than this. People talk about retiring and I'm like, I don't know if I ever will be. I I think I, I love to do what I do. Um, but it's not for everybody. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of hard work behind it. Not every job, you can go through many, many jobs and they all, they sound really great until you actually do it. And then it's like, what? This isn't what I thought it was. So don't be afraid to like try different avenues. And if it's not the right fit, you know, there's many different roles within an organizing committee. So make sure you, you look at it, but believe in yourself and know what you know. And if it's not for you, um, maybe a different avenue is right. Maybe instead of consulting, because you you want more security, working for an event company, working for a smaller event. Um, Sometimes like the Summer Olympics is one of the, it is the biggest sporting event in the world. And then you get to what's second, third, and fourth, and everybody argues about that. But that might not be the event for you. It, you know, start off with a smaller event. Learn what you need to know, and then grow. and And don't be afraid to listen and be curious. Curious and and admit, like you don't know everything. I've been in the business for over thirty years, and and 
I don't know everything. I mean, I don't know anybody who does know everything in the business. And, and even if you've done an event before, like say an Olympics, you've never done that event in the next city with the group of people you're now doing it with. And, and you have to be willing to, to look at yourself and say, okay, maybe I don't know everything, but I got to ask questions. And, and, and to Christian's point, ask questions that are going to open the dialogue, not shut the dialogue down in, in whatever position you're in, whether you're, you're, you're new in the industry or you're a seasoned professional, you should open that dialogue. And, and I think the other one is make sure that you don't give up on yourself. Everybody has challenges. And and Christian, I know you ask about failures and and what you would if you could go back and and do something over again. And I look at it and I have to truly say as long as the event is delivered, you haven't failed. Did it go exactly the way you wanted to? Possibly not. And I don't spend time looking back and saying, oh, I would change this or change that. I think that everything gave me a, every challenge and every um, situation was an opportunity to learn and grow. And if I encounter the same situation later, I might approach it different because what I learned at the last one that smacked me in the face and said, well, that wasn't really smart, you know? So, so I think that would be another thing, uh, another advice, um, you know, make sure you, you do take all of these opportunities as growth opportunities and not to give up, not to say, oh my God, I failed. I'm not, because nobody fails. You just didn't get the outcome that you wanted, but you grew, you learned. Um, and the other piece of advice is no job is worth your mental health. You need to make sure that you take care of yourself and others. And, and I think that we all have learned in different ways over the course of our career of making sure we take care of ourselves and others. And I think that at the end of the day, it's all about people. It's all about connections. And I don't know anybody who wouldn't reach out and help somebody they knew that needed it. You know, whether it's advice for people starting out, whether you're homesick and you, you just want to get together for a cup of coffee or maybe an adult beverage, which is usually more often, or just a chat, you know, so make sure you those would be my words of advice. So. Well, I, th I think that's fantastic advice, uh, Tricia. I really appreciate you sharing it. And speaking of connection, uh, as you say, it is at the end of the day, all about people and it all, it's all about connecting. If people want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about how you could potentially help them in their events, or they're an up and coming professional and they, and they want to learn more from you, what's the best way for, folks out there who might be watching this or listening to this to reach out and contact you? Well, LinkedIn, I am on LinkedIn and it's probably the one social media, which is more like business media that I do monitor on a regular basis. Um, or my email, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, get emails. Um, my email is my last name, Fenton TF at 
either AOL.com or Gmail, uh, old school AOL, got, you've got mail. But uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, they can reach out to, to me on either LinkedIn or, or either of my emails. All right. Fantastic. Well, folks, I would encourage you to reach out and connect with Trisha. She's fantastic. Trisha, thank you so much for taking, gosh, an hour and a half out of your day to, to walk a, down memory lane a little bit with me. I really appreciate it. And listeners and viewers, I appreciate you. So please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you again soon. Trisha, thank you so much. Thank you, Christian. Thank you so much. Thank you.